Welcome, everybody, to another Rational Face podcast episode. I have Paul Barker here. Hey. So today we have an interview with Dr. Finlayson Fife. Fife. Dr. Finlayson Fife. Fife. Throw that. Fife. Yeah. Fife is a really hard last name to pronounce when you think about it. <laughs> anyway, she's one of uh, one of the famous quote unquote Mormon sex therapists. We got a bunch of people to ask questions, right, Paul? Yeah. Famous as in she's probably I don't know how many Mormon sex therapists there are. <laughs> it is an elite group. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> we have Lori and Laurel. They uh, they ask the questions that some of the listeners or blog readers have submitted, and they've got about they've got two really good questions. One is about newlyweds, virgin newlyweds. How virgin do we do this? Virgin newlywed sex. Yes. Going down. <laughs> and so, so I think she has some really good advice there. And one of the things she points out is good sex is a team sport. <laughs> and uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's definitely. It takes two. It's like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome when you're part of a team. That's right. right? Absolutely. <laughs> part of a team. And uh, I think her point there was... Your uh, your sexual relationship shouldn't be a gift that you are obliged to give, but it should be something that you both choose to do together. Yeah, and Janice Cat Perry would have different words for that because I remember singing a song as a youth. The gift of my love, I'm saving for you. <laughs> remember that? I I didn't pay attention to that one. Well, it's but, probably uh, good because it scarred me for life. So, <laughs> you were tuned in. I was tuned in to whatever that shiz was. Anyway, yeah. So, a different message, which was good. Yes, very good. Um, so, yeah, so I think we'll jump right in. And if you'll notice, we have a little bit uh, different bumper music on. And that's what we hope to have going on in our, in our sexual lives. But sometimes it's more like... And that's why we have Dr. Fife on to, to help us get back into the Charleston mode. So here's the interview. Today we are talking with Dr. Jennifer, Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She's a psychotherapist who focuses on issues surrounding female sexuality and feminism within the LDS framework. She holds a Ph.D. in counseling psychology from Boston College, where she wrote her dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. She has taught college-level classes on human sexuality and is currently a private um, practitioner in Chicago. And in her private practice, she primarily works with LDS couples on sexuality and relationship issues. And she also teaches an online course to LDS couples um, on these issues. She's married, she has three kids, and she's an active member of the LDS Church, and we're excited to ask her some questions today. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. And also on the call, we have Laurel. Hey. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. I'm also a blogger on Rational Faiths. Um, My most recent podcast was with Melissa Leilani Larson that you can listen to. And I also was on the uh, first interview with Dr. Finlayson Fife, um, though I had to bail out because I had a screaming child. So hopefully <laughs> awesome. that will not happen this time. But um, yeah. 
Perfect. And I'm Lori Berkman, and I'm a perma blogger at Rational Faiths, and I was on the Faiths Transitions podcast, and I think that's the only other podcast I was on. Um, and, well, let's see. Um, Dr. Finlayson Fife, you have some things coming up you'd like to talk about? Oh, yeah. I'm... Uh... I, as you mentioned, I do teach online courses. Um, one is a relationship course and another one is a sexuality course for couples. But um, I am actually starting a new course that uh, begins this Saturday for LDS women specifically. And it's entitled The Art of Desire. And I'm going to be talking. Um, I'm really excited for this class because this is the topic I'm the most passionate about is helping women to access their sexuality uh, in a context that's often been delegitimizing of women's sexuality. And yeah. so I'm going to be talking to women about some of the cultural inhibiting factors, um, but then our theology that's quite liberating and permission giving, and more specifically how to help women um, <clears throat> come to understand and know their own sexuality and to access it for themselves, not so much to keep their partner, their husbands happy, which is, you know, a nice... Uh, um, additional feature. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also about having a stronger relationship to your God-given sexuality. So that class starts Saturday online and, and, and it's a even, series, right? And it's a series. It's four courses and people okay. get the recordings after the fact. So even if somebody hears this after the class have started, you can still um, join in because the recording links get sent to every participant so they can actually watch it. And how long is each session? Um, they're 60 to 90 minutes each class, depending okay. on topic. Uh, so, yeah. Sure. Well, that sounds fabulous. Yeah. All right. Well, we have about a half hour here, and we have some good questions that people um, have posed. I think one of the most common problems um, in Mormon early marriages is the majority of us are virgins when we get married. And um, we had a lot of questions kind of around that topic. So we will pose mm -hmm. this. Um, what advice do you have for virgin couples who are about to get married? Okay, great question. Um, that I could talk for a long time about this because um, in my dissertation research, this is one of the was interested in was this transition from non-marriage into marriage. And for most women, that did not go well. Um, for most women that I interviewed, it was, it was painful. It was disillusioning. It was, you know, kind of like, you know, I got married for this, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. because there had been a lot of fascination pre-marriage about, you know, what sex was going to be. And it was, um, quite puncturing of, of that fantasy, so to speak. So I think that, um, great use of words there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, so my advice would be, I have a couple things. I mean, one is that, and this is a little more abstract, but one of the challenges I would say is that there are people that have an anxious relationship to their sexuality just overall because they forge a sense of identity around being virginal and non-sexual. And so for some women, that transition into marriage is to kind of lose a part of their identity to lose a part of, of their selves that was part of their sense of value. You know, I'm valued for being virginal and pure. And now that I'm married, not only was the sex not good, um, I don't have that sort of sense of self that came through that self-denial. Yes. And I think that can be really a problem. That's more psychological in terms of giving yourself permission 
to embrace your God-given sexuality. I'm thinking about writing a book on this just for newlyweds because I think part of it is just shifting your orientation to sexuality, even premaritally, is very important. Mm-hmm. But even there's many women I've worked with who really didn't have that. They, they felt good about their sexuality. They felt happy about being sexual beings and just looked forward to getting married. But then the transition was really difficult. And many women had, you know, had pain and then would feel anxious the next time they had intercourse and so then would be seized up, not relaxed mm-hmm. and excited. <laughs> they were, you know, um, and so their body was working against sex being exciting sure. and being comfortable. And so it would be And painful. then that just compounds the problem. Absolutely. Exactly. And so it would just go on and on. And, mm-hmm. and it also would feel like this is all about him. I mean, he's over there thrilled that hoping this will go on for eternity. <laughs> and I'm, you know, in pain or uncomfortable or I don't get what the big deal is about this. And so it sets up what I think is already framed up incorrectly culturally that sexuality is about men. I think we that's a kind of covert message in the way that we talk about sexuality that this idea this this reality or experience reinforces that and then it just means that women start accommodating their husbands rather than being real participants in a sexual relationship which is really sad for both parties actually and so I think my advice is that first of all if you haven't engaged in much foreplay now people have a the spectrum of how much experience they've had before they get married in terms of foreplay. Um, You know, if people have been really, really strict about how much physical contact they've had, I strongly recommend against intercourse the first night. Meaning if if your entrance into marriage, you are going to begin to be sexual. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone feels like the pressure, like, ooh, now's the night, you know? Absolutely. But it Absolutely. doesn't have to be. And, and in fact, it's a horrible way to be initiated into sexuality because I'll say all the reasons in a moment. I mean, well, okay, I'll say it because it's often painful because it tends to be, you know, women uh, tend to not get much pleasure through intercourse. Only 30% of women orgasm with intercourse. And so it, it's, it, if you have to experience, experience one part of sexuality, that's not the part to start with. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, so, you know, we, in a male-centric frame, we tend to think of intercourse as sex, as opposed to sexuality being the spectrum of behaviors and sensuality and experience that, that good sexuality um, emb- embraces or embodies and in, in, includes. So if you're just entering into sexuality upon marriage, or, you know, you've only entered in a little bit, then certainly begin to explore your body and each other's bodies and what feels good to you. And don't let intercourse be <clears throat> the kind of quintessential act. It's one nice part of a larger spectrum, but if you make it the act, it will be disappointing. And so, especially for women's sexuality, women are not intercourse centric and you know, men are much more phallic centric in, in terms of their pleasure. So intercourse is a great part of sexuality for men, but women are often constructed as less sexual than men because intercourse is not that pleasurable for them. But women have as many, you know, uh, nerve, they have twice as many nerve endings in the pelvic floor as men have. They, you know, have all kinds of erotic potential, actually, if there's more willingness to access and to get in touch with, so to speak, women's... um, pleasure centers. And so it's not as, you know, the vagina, basically, you almost feel nothing internally inside the vagina. 
And so taking time to women's bodies sort of their whole body are of an erogenous zone. And so taking time to touch, to caress, to arouse, to tease, to, you know, when she's begging for you to have intercourse with her, that's the right time. <laughs> and I'm not kidding when I say that, because that means that she wants and her body is desirous. And that means it will be, and it has a much higher chance of being satisfying. And um, so I think you really don't want to be in the accommodating, oh, okay, I'll do it for you stance because it just doesn't go well. And, you know, many women have never orgasmed prior, you know, prior to getting married. And then they're hoping that their husband can kind of give them this through sex, through intercourse. It just very seldom happens that way. Really very, very seldom happens that way. And women need, if they haven't yet learned this capacity within themselves, they need to figure it out and take the time to figure it out. Um, outside of intercourse. Now, your husband can be there, your husband can touch you in certain ways, but it's not going to happen, or I should say it very seldom happens through intercourse alone. So I would just take time and come to explore your sexuality, and I would also read the book She Comes First as a good guide for newlyweds. It's all about a gentleman's guide in pleasuring a woman, and oh, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a good book, great book. Had a best friend of mine growing up whose older sister pulled me aside before she got married and asked and asked me, "What's an organism? I need you to tell me." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my!" And I I was a virgin, but apparently I was like the most worldly person she knew and was too embarrassed <laughs> to ask her parents. And so I was just like, "Okay, well, let's it's have a talk." Educated. You know, it's amazing how how off limits that is in some Absolutely. families. It's so. Yeah. Getting educated, party, not even knowing what the party is about, then that's, that's right. Yeah, trying trying to get down and party that night probably isn't your best. That's exactly <laughs> best right. So yes, getting educated is a big deal, and also it can be wise for women to, um, you know, in a gynecological exam, figure out if they are especially tight, and then maybe some you can get a cone that allows you to stretch yourself out before your wedding night. It's just, you know, even rupturing your hymen preemptively. I mean, some people say, oh, no, that, that feels like I'm somehow doing something wrong. But if your hymen ruptures on your wedding night, then you have pain and an open wound to deal with um, on the honeymoon. And the stretching out process, I mean, it, it, I think that's fine if you want to do that slowly in the context of marriage. That's okay. Just be aware that that's, that's what's ahead of you, not just a grand time on the wedding, on the honeymoon. So... It's just being informed because, as you say, lots of people don't know what an organism is, <laughs> and they <laughs> and they have really lofty ideals about what the honeymoon night is going to be, the wedding night's going to be, and it's it can be very disillusioning. So, so yeah, so that's some of my thoughts about that. Yeah, I've um, I, we've I've had plenty of friends ask, you know, the well, we're about to get married and that talk, and it's always just like, well. You know, it can be great, but <laughs> uh -huh. it, it's not, it, no matter what it is, it's not going to be exactly what you thought it was going to be, you right. know? So that doesn't mean it's going to be horrible in any way. Sure. It might be, but it also, um, it's, it's not going to be what you've seen in virtually any movie. So. Right. Yeah. And I, I've, go ahead. Uh, oh yeah. I was just, I, I told kind of a friend of mine who was getting married the same thing is that, I mean, I found part of the intimacy for me of, uh, having two virgins get married is that you share in the awkwardness yes. of not knowing what's going on. Absolutely. And I feel like that is 
part of, for, I mean, for me, that was part of growing closer to my spouse was not that it was suddenly like, wow, it's just like the movies. Right. Um, it was that, oh my gosh, this is so weird and awkward. Let's figure this out. <laughs> and right. so I told my friend that when she was getting married, I'm like, it's probably going to be really awkward for, you know, a few weeks. Um, right. But that can be fun too. <laughs> like Ab- if you, absolutely. If you trust be. your spouse. Exactly. And if you see yourself as, you know, we are partners in this and we're going to figure it out and we value having this together and we value our sexuality and we are young in this, but this is an adventure we're going to take together, then I would say it works very well. It can work very well through all the awkwardness, even the discomfort or pain, because you just, you're, you're in it together and good, good yeah. sex is a team sport. So, you know, I think if you go, though, what I think a lot of people do, which is I'm giving this to him, I'm giving him my virginity, uh, you know, this is for him, that sets up a dynamic that um, does not go well and quickly becomes just about sort of a resentful accommodation in the marriage. Well, and can be really hard, I would assume, to turn around later, like if that's how it starts. Right. Then at some point, you know, if that's how you build and then at some point, how do you, one, realize that you've done that and two, fix that dynamic without, you know, ruining whatever dynamic you have, I suppose. So exactly. Yes. Best to start off right. <laughs> that's right. Um, all right. Well, our second question, um, and these are all from anonymous people. Um, I have difficulty climaxing during sexual intercourse with my husband unless I go into fantasy mode in my head. I typically imagine us in some form of role-playing, but other times neither of us are ourselves. I enjoy it when he touches me, and I have enjoyed foreplay and sex about without the fantasy before, but it just takes so long and it doesn't seem to go anywhere unless I go into fantasy mode. It was not as difficult before we had children. What can you recommend so I can connect or I can learn to climax due to body responses and not my fantasies? Thanks. Okay, uh, what I would say to that is um, it sounds like this person is problematizing fantasies a bit, that she sees it as sort of a, you know, stepchild to just sex that comes through sensation. And I would say that um, I I think that there are many ways to engage through sexuality, you know, in sexuality, that part of what sex can be about is just the connection with your spouse, the feelings of intimacy and closeness part of it can be the physical touch and the sensation of it and the pleasure of that but part of it an important part of sexuality is also the fantasy element or the meaning element that what we create in our minds and i would say that sexuality can be i'm sorry fantasy can be problematic um, but it isn't necessarily so Um, one of the ways that i think about it is you know, why am I using the fantasy? And is the fantasy there in a way that is disconnecting me from my spouse or managing something that I don't want to deal with? Because Mm -hmm. if it's doing that, there's maybe something to think about. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes people feel so much anger and resentment or hostility towards their spouse which can happen easily in marriage because marriage um, is, is, is tough sometimes in terms of really working out a life with another person who's very different than you. And sometimes those feelings get uh, take on a life of their own. And there's, you know, rather than really make love to this person, you'd rather, you know, poke their eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> Not <laughs> recommended, especially on the wedding night. 
it can be that people will use fantasy as a way to not have to deal with the actual conversation that's happening through sexuality. They don't want to deal with their partner and the feelings they have about them. So they use fantasy as a way to escape issues in the relationship that are not being dealt with. And I would say that's a more problematic reason to uh, use fantasy because, you know, it's got a short half-life. It doesn't, you're not really dealing with what needs to be dealt with. Um, And, you know, fantasy can be valuable in the sense that, you know, our erotic minds are drawn to novelty. They are drawn to um, a sense of sometimes the forbidden. They're, it's the, the erotic mind is looking for something that drives tension. And so, and psychic tension can be a really important part of arousal. And, you know, when you're first dating someone, you have a lot of psychic tension because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not sure that he's into you and you're not sure where this relationship's going to go and this is all new. And so it's easily arousing in its own right. But once mm-hmm. you get married and this person is super familiar to you and they have spit up on their back because they were just carrying the baby around, you know, <laughs> it's just harder to, to create a meaning context that's thrilling because everything else about this person is domesticating it and making it very much just about the safety of home life. And so cultivating a, a way to create adventure and novelty within your relationship is really an important part of a thriving sexual relationship. So one way to be in connection with your spouse and still invoke fantasy is to share what is in your mind, to share an idea like, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. Let's imagine that, you know, we're in this context and you do this and I do this and, and, um, or we can make ourselves into somebody else entirely. Okay. I'll be, you be a policeman and I'll be the person that gets pulled over and has to do something to not get a ticket, you know, (laughs) okay. And so people can like create scenarios that are exciting, but it's a kind of grown up play. And, and sometimes people think, well, you know, isn't it true as a person thinketh, so is he or she? Well, yes, except for here. (laughs) 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 That the things that, you know, turn, can turn us on are sometimes silly and funny and doesn't mean that we actually value those things or we would do those things necessarily. Um, They're just a way of engaging and expressing a part of our eroticism that we find pleasure in and we find delight in. And ultimately the litmus test is, does it pull us together or does it divide us as a couple? Mm -hmm. Is this a fun way to be with you and to be silly together and kind of laugh at ourselves but to enjoy one another and one another's bodies and the pleasure of our friendship? Or is this a way of disconnecting from you, pretending like you're someone else, um, and because I don't want to deal with our relationship and who you are? And then, of course, it's more problematic. So, you know, just the erotic mind gets turned on by novelty. I mean, just, just shifting, going to a hotel is surprising to people how much that can charge them up. But part Mm -hmm. of it is because you're in a new space. You have removed all the images that are familiar and about home life and duty. And it can allow you to access a different part of yourself. But you can also go to a different place in your mind in your own bedroom by, you know, creating a shared context to, to engage in. So what if, um, a spouse like 
one is really into fantasy and the other just doesn't roll that way. Should one spouse ever feel uncomfortable that they're doing that and the other one isn't? Or, I mean, what if it's not about avoidance, but it's just about how people are, you know, are into it, you know? I don't think there's any problem inherently to having different styles. I mean, first of all, that's, that is sexuality, generally speaking, is that one person's going to want things the other person is more uncomfortable with and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And part of having in a, a a passionate marriage is to be willing to try new possibilities that you haven't tried before or that at first make you uncomfortable to at least be willing to expand your repertoire of um, sexual self-expression. So I think that just having that difference isn't an inherent problem at all. And in a collaborative relationship, you know, you can always try things on for size and, and see, you know, if you enjoy it or if you can find pleasure in it, even if the pleasure is in just in saying, okay, I'll join you in your crazy idea, but, um, you know, I, I'll do, I'm doing it for you. I'm okay. And I'm okay with that. Um, um, the other thing is you don't have to always be having the same experience. And I think you can be engaged in a fantasy that maybe pulls your, I think everybody sort of on some level will go into a place in their head that allows them to access their desire and to start feeling sexual and doesn't have to be the same place or the same meaning necessarily. I think the question is whether or not you can do that and still be in a meaningful connection with your spouse. Again, it's really around, can I, can I engage my own erotic mind and really still be with you, even if we're not sharing it in a one-to-one way? And I think that's, I think in the church especially, we want to believe that sexuality is only for our partners, as opposed to belonging to ourselves first and then something that we share. And if we talk about intimacy, intimacy is about sharing of oneself. Deep intimacy is about I'm letting myself be known to you. In our way of thinking about sexuality, because we're so anxious about it, we don't want sexuality to belong to individuals first and then be shared. We want it to be awoken by the spouse on the wedding night. That's the, the kind of cultural fantasy that we have. And because I think it makes us anxious to think, you know, my spouse has his own sexuality. He has his own erotic mind, and it may not always just be about me. <laughs> and, and that makes us really nervous. And well, they I, call exploring your own sexuality before you're married, they call it self-abuse. So mm-hmm. one, can, one can see why that would be an off the, you know, off even the if table. it's not masturbating, any, you know, any exploration of oneself before you're married is very taboo. That's right. Um, you know, so. That's when right. I, I remember uh, when, before I was married, I had uh, some friends at BYU and, uh, and, she, and they were a married couple and she was just saying like, I can't remember what they were talking about, but she was saying something like, oh, and that that's that's the celebrity my husband has a crush on. And my three celebrities that I have a crush on are this person and this person. And, and you know, I was still yeah. so young and I was like, wait, no, how can, what? <laughs> um, but actually, as I thought about it and they were so relaxed about it and they had a great relationship, like you could tell they were so comfortable with each other. And mm-hmm. and it really, and, and actually, I mean, it was such a simple thing, but it really made me think about, oh, yeah, like I, you know, the sexuality 
that's going to be there and it's going to be drawn to different things even after you're married, but that they were sharing what those things were with each other. I mean, it was a very innocent, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm attracted to a celebrity, but they were still sharing that with each other and they weren't threatened by it. Exactly. Um, and that really impressed me. And now, now my husband and I work in uh, fields where we have to be, or at least especially in my field of acting, we have to be very intimate with people we're not married to um, and, and have to be, but, you know, have to be very open with each other um, about what's going on. But I think, you know, those kinds of things really helped me uh, with that realizing like, oh, sexuality still continues and it still evolves um, in inside yourself, whether you're married or not. Um, but that's not like a weird, bad thing. Like I very innocent, naive youth where it was like, nope, all your sex is just with your spouse. Right. All your desires are only going to be there and you'll never desire anything else. Right. And I mean, we're trying to sort of uh, create cultural security or marital security by that kind of framing. But I don't think it, in fact, does it. Because, see, I think, you know, if you're really going to give your, how does it, when, when you think of sexuality as communal property, meaning marital property, that your body half belongs to your spouse. First of all, the issues of consent and desire get squashed under that kind of framing. So, you know, you owe it to me because you married me. Mm -hmm. um, and women especially are enculturated into this idea that my sexuality is for my husband. Keeping myself virginal will make me desirable. This will be the gift that I can give him. It's very problematic because, first of all, I, you know, if I think of myself as a sexual being and I say, look, I choose to be monogamous. It is fully a choice. I could engage my sexuality outside of this marriage. I could flirt with this person over here in a way that would be problematic, but I choose not to. I choose to really be to the betterment of this relationship and this person whom I care for and have made a commitment to. It's the much deeper gift in, the, in a framing of choice and ownership of one's sexuality, a gift to your partnership and to your relationship when it's a freely chosen choice. And I think mm -hmm. we are anxious that if we don't sort of say it half belongs to the other person, that people won't make that choice. And they may not, but it cheapens what good sexual intimacy can be when the issues of choice and desire are squashed by obligation. I agree. Um, to hit back on this original question with the fantasy, do you find in your work that, that many Mormons feel that it's untruthful or have guilt over having fantasies and sex or, um, or is, is that an issue in, you know, in, in your I work? I think it can definitely be, and especially women feel that way. Um, but somehow they're, they're holding, um, something back that if it doesn't just include, um, my desire for you, that somehow I'm being unfaithful in my sexuality. I have seen that, especially with women. I'm not, I haven't heard men talk about that as much. Um, but uh, yes, definitely people worry about that. And I think it comes back to this question of ownership of sexuality, because we really aren't taught that idea that our sexuality is a gift from God to us, right? The, you know, that this is, this is my body. This is my sexuality. I decide how I'm going to orient to my sexuality and how I'm going to use it in my life. I get to decide if I use it for good or not. And uh, lots of people don't use their sexuality for good even when they're married. 
right, in the temple. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really around like, how do I choose to share myself, express myself through this powerful form of being engaged with another person and with myself? Those are really important choices, but we have a hard time um, allowing the idea that it belongs to us and it is our stewardship. So unfortunately, bottom line, if you're fantasizing to avoid the problems at hand, because you're just really not into that person or the act at the time, then it's not anything you'd recommend. But if it's fantasizing in a way that enhances sex on any level, then yay for that. And don't feel guilty about it. Is That's that right. A cap? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a normal part of sexual, sexual experience and, and expression. Yeah, exactly. Good. Well, those are two questions for the day. Is there anything that anybody else wants to add or clarify? Not that wouldn't take a lot longer to talk about. <laughs> All right. Well, those were good. Those were both good, good questions. Um, I don't know. Can people ask more questions through the comments section? Like, how is it if somebody listens to this and they're like, I have something I would like to listen to? Um, how would they get that to us? Laurel, you might know better than I do. I, I'm sure people could do it through the comments. I know that Rational Face has sent out a request for questions in the past. Yeah. Well, you can you can always ask in the comments and you can do that anonymously. Um, there's also, we have an email that we'll put, uh, at the bottom of the podcast that you can also send anonymous questions if you'd rather email them. Um, those are the best ways. And then, you know, if you follow us on Facebook, we'll usually send out a call for questions before we do another podcast. So, I mean, that's not anonymous, but, um, but you could ask a question for a friend, um, on Facebook. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and but yeah you, yeah either if you don't mind seeing it you can ask on facebook you can private message um one of the uh the uh admins of rational faiths or probably the easiest is just anonymously asking um on the on the blog or sending an email which we will link on once we post this up and the um i think you're also going to put a link on for the course for saturday so if yes one's interested in that <clears throat> there'll be a link there that they can check out the content of the course and so on. Well, that's great. That wraps up another Rational Faith podcast. Thank you so much, Laurel, for being with us and to Dr. Jennifer Finlayson. Bye. Thanks, Laurie. All right. Have a good day. Bye, you guys. Bye-bye.